0: Following teaching is from the Warriors Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at WarriorsHeart.org. We hope you have a great day. It's how many times we can see images that have a universal language that people almost always smile and everyone knows what it's all about. You don't need any words. But the symbol itself speaks about an issue that we can all say this is something we understand. We don't have to explain it. don't have to discuss it. We just know what it's all about. Well, here's one of those. I mean, everyone looks at a picture like this and we know what it's talking about. We may even use a phrase when we're talking to our children. Sometimes our wives use the phrase when uh, we're talking to them and they're talking to us. Your nose is growing. So it's one of those kinds of things where we know that somebody is lying. And somewhere along the line, we're going to have a discussion about what lying is all about. It's a part of the passage of Scripture we have. It's one of those sticky little complicated issues and I hope that I can make it even more complicated for you today There are other pictures that we put up and we as men already know and understand that there are kind of issues that are related to a picture like this this is a artist rendition of Rahab and so suddenly we all think about Rahab and the story that she lived and how the Bible taught that she was a woman of the night she was a, a prostitute that's a way that she could only the only way she can make her living. And yet she was very well known for this particular lifestyle and this choice of her vocation. Yet sometimes as we wonder about this whole process, we don't like to delve into it with a great deal of depth. But somewhere along the line, as we think about even our city here, the city of Houston, which is the whole reason why we gather here as men. Again, not to get more knowledgeable of the scripture, but to make our lives impactful so we can see Jesus Christ make a difference in how this city functions. So somewhere along the line, we can also look at these women who are part of the city of Houston, where prostitution is at an incredibly high rate, and it always spikes whenever we have these great conventions that come to our city, as girls come in, as uh, those people who who use these women bring them in in order to gain financial uh, means for themselves because of the appetites that men have. And sometimes we forget that perhaps uh, these people who are, Having a difficult time, or maybe you're just looked upon as, as a means for somebody else's economic gain, we forget that so many of them are victims themselves, and we look at this as maybe sometimes a victimless crime, but it really is not when we consider the possibilities of those whose lives are absolutely overwhelmed. I was in the city of San Francisco before the Lord brought us here to Houston. And one of my goals in the city of San Francisco was to ride the public bus system. I was uh, very high on my list. So I had a, an appointment downtown in the city. It's not a big city at all, seven miles by seven miles. But so when you ride a bus and it stops every two blocks, it takes forever to go across that distance. So I had an appointment downtown. I asked uh, one of my staff members to drop me off, which she was glad to do. And I had my appointment, and then I jumped on a bus. And before I jumped on I had never done it before in the city, I smiled at the bus driver. I said, hey, I'm trying to go down here and get to Gary and the Avenues. Is this the right bus? And you talk about unfriendly people. It's like I had asked him to figure out an algebra problem, and he didn't do well in math. And he scowled and snarled and said, yeah, get on. So I said, okay. And I got on, paid my fare. There were plenty of seats. So I sat down in a chair, and as we would go block after block after block, and more and more people would sign up and jump on the bus, Everyone knew what they were doing, but it was astounding to be a people watcher when no one, no one gave you eye contact. Either their eyes were into a book, their eyes were onto a phone, their eyes were onto a magazine or a newspaper, and they just did not give you eye contact. And I tell you, by the time we got just a mile or so from downtown, the bus was so packed, I was closer to total strangers than sometimes when I sit on the sofa with Yvonne while we're watching a movie. Total strangers, and we're crowding up against one another. And then the weirdest thing happened. There was a guy who walked onto the bus, and he probably hadn't had a shower in who knows how long. His clothes were messed up. He, he uh, was awful looking, and he had a scowl on his face. He was unhappy like so many of the other people. People didn't look at him. People didn't judge him. They just ignored him, but he stood there in the middle of the bus. And when the doors closed and the bus took off, he flagellated so big. He really ripped one so big. It was like he had suddenly a five-foot radius cleared around him as crowded as the bus was. And people were then starting to frown. No one looked at him. The eye contact was still kept to privacy. But man, oh man, we had so many people on that bus that I looked and thought to myself, here are a lot of people who are hurting. Here are a lot of people who are victims to what this society has brought. Sometimes that sadness is something that we as individuals Maybe can never figure out how to fix it. When I consider the possibilities of what God is doing, I see wounded people, disenfranchised people, dirty people, people who never thought that spiritual vitality would be something that they could ever have as an option for themselves. They were people who were hurt, people who were embarrassed, people who would wonder whether or not life has really passed them by, and they have nothing left to live for. I contemplated that idea with this picture in mind and with our thought of anticipating our study in Joshua uh, Joshua 2 and the life of Rahab in the second chapter. And I tried to ask God, as I drive into Houston's first today to Warrior's Heart, just give me a real passion for the people who are around me in these vehicles. The people that I'm passing on the freeway that are now starting to fill up these office buildings. These are all people, Lord, who need your son, who need the Savior. And Father, I, I just ask that you give me a chance to do something that will make a difference today in the lives of people. And so I prayed for some of these people. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of drive-by prayer, but I practice that a lot. I mean, you have drive-by shooting, you know, why not drive-by prayer? And you fire a gun, and you don't know what's going to hit something, but it'll probably hit something. It's just the laws of fi- uh, the laws of physics, it will hit something. Well, what about drive-by prayer? If you see someone going by and they got a scowl on their face or unhappy, they look like they're really tense and they're dodging in the traffic. Sometimes we look at those guys and say, Lord, you know, put a cop right behind them. And pull them over and give them a big ticket. Or maybe we could do something else like drive-by prayer. Wouldn't it be amazing if everybody from Moyer's Heart realized that maybe I can't impact someone's life directly today. But God, maybe you could use me to indirect a whole bunch of lives indirectly today with drive-by prayer. So I prayed for a lot of those people with this one idea in mind that some people are driving around busy today, overwhelmed today because they are victims, way beyond their own ability to accomplish anything personal in their lives. And those are the people that the heart of God is after. When I consider the possibilities here of what Rahab means in the whole scheme of the Scripture, the first thing usually people remember in their minds, they're familiar with the Scripture, Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a harlot. Rahab sold her body to men for money, to make an income, to make a living, but she sold her body in an immoral way. As we think about this particular woman, she's going to make an impact on all of us because so far we've done three sessions together on the first chapter, and now she takes up the entire second chapter. God has something to say and remind us about this amazing woman who now should have an impact on our lives. One of the fascinating things is how women have impacted our lives, and I love what Pastor Greg oftentimes says, that the best thing that ever happened to women's rights is Jesus Christ. That's a powerful statement. And here's one of the great examples of how one of the greatest things that ever happened to women's rights was the grace of God. And when we look at the life of uh, Rahab, I I think of uh, that show on television that was so popular for so long, the, the Cosby Show, and Heathcliff Huxtable was a doctor, and his wife was a very successful attorney. And she saw him at dinner, and he looked so puzzled. He was distracted. And, and she looked at him and says, Heathcliff, what's wrong? What are you thinking about? Oh, I, one, of my, one of my patients gave me, a, gave me a riddle today, and I can't figure it out. Well, she says, well, well tell me. Maybe I can help you. He says, no, no, no. I want to figure it out on my own. I, I know I can figure it out on my own. Okay. Well, through the, the meal, he just kept on being very distracted. So she finally says, "Look, you got to tell me what the riddle is. At least let me hear what it is. I, I won't help you you don't want me to." He says, oh, okay. Well, my my patient told me that this father and son were driving on our road, and the road was really slick, and the the car got out of control, and the car crashed, and the and the father died, and then the son, who was in the car, was injured terribly, but they got him life flighted to the emergency hospital, but. When they got to the emergency hospital, got to the emergency hospital and they, they stabilized the boy but he needed surgery real quickly. They brought him in to the emergency and the surgeon came out and the surgeon took one look at the boy and said, "I can't operate on this boy." He's my son. And he's said, I can't figure it out. And then and of course uh, his 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 wife Claire says, "I'm ashamed of you." I can yeah, I'm ashamed of you. What do you mean you're ashamed of? You can't figure this one out? No, I can't figure it out. I bet you can't figure it out. I can't, too. Well, then tell me what the answer is. The answer is the surgeon was his mother. Heathcliff, you assumed that the surgeon was a man. No, I didn't. I was just testing you to see if you could get it. Lies, all lies. It is amazing, gentlemen, how oftentimes we bias our own feelings and our own interpretation to try and figure out where in the world women fit in the whole process of being influential in our lives. If we have a bias, if we have assumptions, if we just take certain things for granted that leave women out or marginalize them and elevate men, we've got a huge, huge lesson from God's Word today. There's a special time in the life of Joshua when he decides that as a leader of the nation of Israel, something has to change. He's not only the man of great vision, but he is also the man who's also going to give great tactical advice and leadership. So here in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1, we see the tactical skills of the brilliant leader in Joshua. The Bible says this, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. This is an amazing feature, an introduction to this passage of Scripture, because Joshua sends out two spies, and he does so secretly. He doesn't tell the nation. This is for him as a leader to set about the plans that he would use in order to accomplish the great task that God has for him and the nation of Israel. Now, I don't put a whole lot of stock into numerology, but here's something that does capture my attention. Because Joshua was a part of a group of spies that went into the promised land before, and there were 12 of them. Two of them came back with a positive report, but the others, they came back and says, forget it. Don't go on there. The land is filled with giants. There's no way we can successfully take this land. And Joshua and Caleb says, no, God promised us. We could take it. The land is full of milk and honey. This isn't where he wants us to go. It's amazing. Let's take the land. By faith, let's trust God to give it to us. So this time, instead of sending out 12, he doesn't even tell anybody what he's going to do. He just sends out two. That, to me, captures my attention. The two who believed when they came back are now the number of people he sends into the land. Go and confirm what I believe God already has sealed in my spirit. But I need to know the tactical information so that we can launch our military strikes with confidence. I love that. This is also an amazing verse for all of us guys. And I never say this in front of a bunch of women. But when he sends the two spies from Shittim, you got to make sure you pronounce that word correctly. So if you put the emphasis and the accent on the last syllable and make it sound Hebrew-like, no one gets kind of squirrely and giggling in the background. But if you put the accent on the first syllable, it gets kind of embarrassing, especially with the women who are around. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So he went, entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. What a, What an amazing thing. Here are guys who are strangers to the land, guys who are strangers to Jericho, and yet a single individual by the name of Rahab was known to them. As they know very little as far as the intelligence of the city, one of the common things they discovered, where to go in order to fit in without causing any attention to themselves, they go to the home of a prostitute named Rahab. Fascinating. We don't have much more background than that. It's amazing that the guys who came to the city as strangers and travelers knew where to go so that no one would raise an eyebrow and wonder what in the world are they doing here. This is a special lady of faith when God sends this particular group of guys into the situation that they are in. When I think about what God is doing here in the life of uh, Rahab, it's a special kind of story. A woman who has no other way, apparently, of any kind of income, other than the sexual favors that men will pay in order for them to be serviced by her. We don't need to go into any more detail than that. All of us guys know what goes on in those kinds of situations. And so we don't think about the respect or the regard that we'd have for a woman like this. Yet she has a father and she has a mother and she has siblings. The story tells us that. And she's a caring woman because she's interested in protecting her family. So maybe it was economic situation that forced her into this situation. I mean, after all, women could not own property. Women could not own businesses. It was illegal during this time for them to have that kind of income. If she wasn't married and didn't have a husband that would provide for her, if her father was incapable of bringing an income, what other alternatives did she have? But it's fascinating later on that she is not only well known for these spies who came in, even the king, sent word to Rahab, as if he knew who she was. She received a direct instruction from the king. Fascinating who this woman was from this whole perspective. If you could imagine what in the world it was like for her to make that first choice, how old she might have been. She would lose the names of the customers because they were so frequent. People maybe in the highest courts, down to the weariest traveler, were her customers. Yet one of the most amazing things of a woman of the night like this, her name is not only here in Joshua chapter 2, it's also in Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, Rahab is included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Because Rahab, perhaps probably sometime after this entire episode occurred, her husband was named Salmon. And she and her husband, Salmon had a little baby, and his name was Boaz. And Boaz fell in love with a woman named Ruth. And from the relationship and the husband and wife connection of Ruth and Boaz came the lineage of Jesus Christ. I don't know where all of us are as men here in this room, but if any of us have ever been disenfranchised, if we've ever made mistakes morally, if we've ever been terrified that someone might find out a secret about our past, we have not. We have not understood grace if those issues still cripple our past. If our present day is crippled because of our past, we don't understand the power of grace. If God could take a woman like Rahab with all of her past and bring her into the lineage of Jesus Christ, That is a picture of grace that we men should bury in our spirit and say what God has taught me about how I can live my life today with freshness, fullness, with a kind of anticipation and power, an amazing phenomenon of what what God could do to a broken woman and bring her into a position of amazing grace. If he could do that long ago, then he can do that again through me. And it's not what I do today as a fear of what people might find out about yesterday. It is about what God has taken care of in our past through Jesus Christ so that my today and my tomorrow can be powerfully used for his glory. Well, gentlemen, it doesn't matter what you're thinking. It doesn't matter where your level of confidence is. It's got to be in the person of Jesus Christ and what Almighty God will provide for us. In this phenomenal particular issue, we have here an amazing problem in Joshua chapter 2 verses 2 through 7 and I'm not going to have a discussion we don't have time to have discussion here with me Uh, you're going to probably get a chance maybe around your table so then I could just throw it to you and then leave that's what my plan is so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab bring out the men who came to spy out the whole land she said yes the men came to me but the men left I don't know which way they went go after them quickly that was a lie But God protected the spies because of a lie. Was God using an immoral woman to do an immoral act in order to accomplish a righteous deed? So We probably try to stand on our head, turn around, and twist around to try to figure out how in the world we explain this thing. Is lying used by Almighty, Holy, Righteous God in order to accomplish His perfect purposes? Let me place it to you in this particular situation. Some of you here play basketball. I, I don't play that game. God didn't grace me with that kind of height nor quickness. And the first time I was out on the court as a pastor playing basketball with my young people, I got knocked to the ground with my glasses knocked off and stepped on as they ran over me. And I thought to myself, wow, I, I thought I was their pastor. I thought this was a non-contact sport. But boy, did they laugh. And boy, did I laugh after that. I laughed so hard I never played with them again. But for people who play basketball, I've watched them. They're going down the court with a basketball. They're dribbling fast. They're running furious. Right in front of them is one of the best defenders on the court. And all they do is throw a head fake to the left. And that guy commits to his right in order to block the path of the person dribbling. But the person dribbling is laughing because it was a fake all along. He had every intention to misdirect his opponent. And he went around the right and dunked the ball. Now, no one stands up in a Christian gymnasium and says, foul, foul, that was a misdirection. You cheated by lying with your body. That's immoral. No one does that. Man, they're applauding the guy who did the head fake. There's got to be something inconsistent with our theology. Or when Jesus Christ was on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, and he's talking to them, and they were amazed at what Jesus Christ was saying, but he kept his identity from them. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says Jesus acted as if he was going further. And so they encouraged him, no, stay with us. Jesus Christ gave one of the best head fakes ever recorded and inspired infallible scripture. And no one calls Jesus Christ a foul on that. But everyone looks at Rahab and said, she lied. She did something immoral. Let me explain it to you this way, man. She had no moral obligation to give away good information to these who were trying to do evil in the eyes of God. I'm not trying to say that there's situation ethics that apply to whether or not we lie or not. Boy, when we men do that with our wives and try to fake them out by giving them a misdirection, there's something wrong with that moral obligation theory in our minds. But think of it from the perspective of what Rahab was doing and from the standpoint of what happens when people are at military odds with each other. We do not have a moral obligation to give accurate information to those who have an intention to do a moral misdeed. We are bigger than going down to the simple level of all lies are always wrong. Well, if we want to do that, let's make sure what we call a lie is truly a lie and not... An issue that we have like here in Joshua chapter 2. One of the amazing things is that the Scripture is going to give to these two spies an amazing testimony. It's a testimony of fear. In Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, this is a summary of this particular testimony that, that uh, uh, Rahab gives to these spies. I know, this is Rahab speaking, she's a Gentile. She's considered a woman who has no moral standing And yet this is the words, these are the words she speaks. I know that the Lord has given this land to you. And she uses the name of God. thats all here in capital letters. And we have learned this is a name for Jehovah or Yahweh, the God who makes promises and keeps them. Every promise that God makes by his character, he has kept or intends to keep. This name is a name that Rahab invokes as she gives his testimony. The Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. Man, you never tell your opponent that you're afraid. If you do, half the battle is over for them. They will dominate because fear has already set in and fear cripples ability. But she's not thinking of herself as an opponent. She's thinking of herself as someone who's now going to throw her life on the mercy of the Lord. So that all who live in this country are, me, are melting in fear because of you. Boy, if you're thinking about scouting an opponent, this is a report that you want to hear. We have heard. It gives this report of all the testimony of the amazing things that they have done militarily. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. That's the news. That's the intel that these spies wanted to bring back to their commander. It is an amazing expression of faith on the part of Rahab. Her faith is now left the people that she knows are now going to be judged by Almighty God. And she's going to throw herself on the mercy of the same God that these spies represent. Scripture tells us here in verses 12 and 13, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, Jehovah again, Yahweh, the God who makes promises and keeps them, that you will show kindness to my family. The word kindness Critical in the Old Testament, it's the word Chesed. Speaks about the mercy and the goodness given by God, not just a theoretical idea, but the gentleness of God, bringing someone close and ministering grace, beneficiary, unending blessings, even though the person has nothing, does not done nothing to deserve it. That's what kindness is. Chesed because I have shown kindness, the same kind of has said to you, as best as I could. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. A woman who is not self-centered, not self-seeking, not all about herself, but concerned about her family. Powerful statement here with regard to this. Show me that you will give me your word and keep your promise. Gentlemen, it's not only Rahab as an amazing picture of grace. Rahab is an amazing picture of someone who knows that when promises are given, and then when you find people of genuine character who represent Almighty God, they keep their promises. So gentlemen, if we look at the life of Rahab today as a tremendous picture of grace, trust, and obedience, we also see her as a woman who values very highly. Someone who gives a word, makes a promise, and keeps the promises that they make. She uses the name Yahweh. She uses the name Jehovah. And on that basis of that name of God, she now asks these spies, give me your word, keep your promise, that as I have shown your kindness, kindness to you, may your God that you represent show that same kindness to me. Gentlemen, are you a promise keeper? As a representative of Almighty God, When you give your word, is it as good as a signature on a contract that's notarized and witnessed by attorneys after attorneys after attorneys? Is our word good? Is our word golden? One of the great exercises you can do on a regular basis, write down any promises that you've made in the past that you have not yet kept, any promises that you have broken, and go back and fix them. So that those that we can influence the best and the most, they can know that we can be trusted when we give them our promises. It's a great lesson about grace. It's a great lesson about promise keeping. This agreement that they gave here is a powerful one. As these men say, "Yep, this is what we will do," and this is the oath, and here are the arrangements, here are the conditions. And with that, there was tremendous confidence. It was we end? And they said, they said to Joshua. The Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, the God who makes promises and keeps them, has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. During your table talk, there are some um, wonderful questions that you can deal with to deal with uh, this particular passage of Scripture. Enjoy your conversation. And if I could just prevail upon you for one prayer request, uh, as soon as I'm done here, i got to go home and pack. And I'm headed off to San Francisco, and there's a ministry called Iron Sharpens Iron. It's a men's ministry that is exploding all over the country, and I get to speak to the men of San Francisco who are gathering on Saturday. And I'm gonna—I'm—I'm just asking that God could use this conference to unite the men in a very, very pressured city, that they could unite and say to God, "We want to do something powerful in the name of Jesus Christ for our city." And so I'm asking you to pray for the men of the city of San Francisco that Saturday could mark a tremendous change in the lives of some of these men who are going to be making a commitment to Jesus Christ. Enjoy your table talk, men. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.